The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 39, you know, God never fails. He always keeps his promises. And Joseph knew that. And as we begin to follow Joseph and deep, deep, dig deep into his character, we realize time and time again that his entire life was based on that truth. Now, I don't know if it's entirely appropriate to speak of Joseph's commitment in prison because he wasn't committed voluntarily. He was thrust in there because of that situation. But Joseph had that kind of commitment no matter where he was and no matter what situation he was in. Earlier, we learned in Genesis 39, verses 2 through 3, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And then verse 5 said, from, the time, from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and fields. So as we fast forward to our time today in our new passage this morning, we find out that although the circumstances have changed, the story nevertheless remains the same. Genesis 39, verses 20 through 23. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So what we see about Joseph, and probably the most important thing that you and I can take away from this entire study of Joseph, is that the most important lesson to him and to you and I is that it's character before all else. Character before all else. When we read these verses in terms of God's blessing and Joseph's success, We think naturally of the fact that Joseph rose to a position of authority in prison. And in this, his course was paralleled to his earlier situation, rising from a menial slave to the head of Potiphar's household. But Joseph's real success was greater than that. True, he was still a prisoner. True, his future was still uncertain. But what was important was the way in which his character grew in the time of imprisonment. In similar circumstances, a lesser man may have become bitter and harsh. He may have questioned, what what am I doing? I'm serving God. I'm doing everything God has told me to do. I'm trusting him, and look where it's getting me. But I notice in particular that Joseph continued to think about God. In fact, to orient his entire life around the reality of God's character. Everything Joseph did, was an eye singled unto God. Now, there's a danger here. 
And let me just give you a little insight into the human side of Joseph. Because if we're not careful, we run the risk of looking at Joseph and saying, man, that guy, he's just, he's out of my league. I mean, how could I ever be like Joseph? Rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery, goes into Potiphar's house, and in spite of all difficult circumstances, he strives to be the absolute best, then gets falsely accused, thrown into prison, and then still remains faithful. I mean, this guy's on a different stratosphere. That's not who I am. I could never be that way. So let me give you a little insight into the human side of Joseph. In chapter 40, we're introduced to the butler and the baker. And Joseph interprets the dreams and, and he interprets to the butler that it's his lucky day. He is going to be restored. He's going to get out of prison. He's going to get his rightful position back next to Pharaoh. And so Joseph says to him in verse, chapter 40, verses 14 and 15, only remember me when it's well with you. And please, do me the kindness to mention me to Potiphar, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. He's saying, look, you're getting out. You're going to get back your job. Don't forget me. Get me out of here. See, he didn't want to be there. And that's the kind of human side of Joseph that we're able to pick up here. He's not different than you and I. He did not like being in prison. He wanted out. And he rehearsed all the false things. And, and I don't want to put stuff here that shouldn't be here, but I find it interesting that at this point, it seems like Joseph puts all his eggs in the butler's hands. Butler, you're getting free. Get me out of here. And he puts everything on the butler. And from that point, he's forgotten for two more years. Now, I'm not saying he had to learn a lesson here. But if it were me, I'd be having to learn that lesson. So Joseph was human. He wasn't some out-of-the-box extraordinaire that just wasn't, you know, like you and I. He was just like you and I. However, he knew that he was God's child, and that his responsibility was to live for and be faithful to God regardless of what came into his life. But he was still human. And as a result, Joseph never lost his power before God. Throughout his life, God continued to reveal the future to him through dreams, and God continued to guide him no less when he was in Potiphar's prison than when he was along the throne of the monarch. God was always the chief and determining reality in Joseph's life. And you see, I think often when we get discouraged, it's because we make ourselves the determining reality in our life. Joseph didn't make that mistake. Now, it is the same at this stage in Joseph's story. The verses at the end of chapter 39 contain no words of Joseph. But in the next chapter, when the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt are introduced and shortly afterwards tell Joseph their dreams, you, you can grasp the heart of Joseph here. Genesis 40, verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. 
we might have expected him to have been thinking about himself and all he'd been through and say to these guys, don't get mixed up in dreams, boys. Look where it got me. I had a dream once, and now I'm hated, sold into slavery, now in prison. But Joseph didn't think of himself. Joseph was thinking about the Lord God, and he was strengthened in his resolve, even in prison. He saw his interaction with others in light of God's uh, existence. And when the butler and the baker were placed in the prison, they were actually put into Joseph's charge. Genesis 40 verse 4 says, The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. He attended them. That means he took care of them. He guided them in this very difficult situation. In other words, Joseph served them. And isn't that like Jesus Christ who said he came to serve? You see, when you and I have a heart for God, we have a heart for service. When we have a heart for God, we want to be strength for someone else. We want to come alongside others and help build them up. And Joseph in prison in this most terrible time, and as we saw, wants to get out of there. Yet while he's there, he's about other people and coming alongside them. It shows how his character continued to grow. And you'll notice that after they had their dreams, Genesis 40, verses 6 and 7, he says, When Joseph came to them in the morning and saw that they were troubled, so he asked Potiphar's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces cast down? What's going on? Why are you struggling? Can you imagine if Joseph was with you when that trouble you're going through dropped? Can you hear Joseph saying to you, Brother, why are you cast down? Sister, why are you hurting? Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said in John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. He went on to say in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When you have a heart for God and you're trusting God, you rely on him to lift you up and get you through. And Joseph had been there. So he was not talking to them as someone who didn't know what they were going through. He was talking through personal experience and through personal struggles. Jesus says to us today, don't be troubled. See everything. Through God. Now, these words tell us that Joseph continued to be strengthened in his interest and concern for other people when, when he could have been depressed and concerned about himself. Yes, character before all else. None of us would ever willingly want to be in prison. And I'm sure that Joseph, as we saw, did not want to be there either. But it was not all bad. Prison strengthened him, and later we saw the result of that fruit when he became number two in command in Egypt. 
But you know, Joseph is not the only one who thrived in prison. Let's just take a second to look at those who remained faithful in prison. The first one I give you is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He prophesied in Jerusalem at the end of the history of the southern kingdom, and his message over decades was very much the same. Jerusalem will be destroyed for its sin by the Babylonians. And this was a very unpopular message, but it was not until the end of his ministry, shortly before the city was overthrown, that Jeremiah was imprisoned. He had left to take care of some family business, and he was falsely accused of of defecting to the Babylonians. So without benefit of trial, he was beaten and thrown into prison. And Jeremiah 37, verse 15 and 16 says, And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, for he had been made a prison. For it had been made a prison. And when Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days. Now we might think that an experience like this, especially after a seemingly fruitless ministry, might have modified the prophet's message. He might have told himself, Jeremiah, you're getting nowhere. Why waste your time with this? It's been decades. No one's responded. Give up at it. Forget it. It's not worth it. But actually, the opposite occurred. After this long imprisonment, when King Zedekiah finally sent for him and and inquired privately, is there a word from the Lord? Jeremiah abruptly replied, replied, yes, and you will be handed over to the king of Babylon. Nothing had changed in the heart of Jeremiah. God's message was the same. Jeremiah remained faithful to it. So prison did not weaken Jeremiah. Prison actually strengthened him. And what of Samson? Samson regained his physical strength while he was in prison. He had a weakness for women, as you know the story. And finally, Delilah, a Philistine, tricked him into telling her what the real source of strength was in his hair. And so while he slept, she had it cut off. And in the morning, the soldiers pounced on him, and he could do nothing about it. When he was put in prison, his eyes were gouged out, and he was strapped and chained to a threshing machine, and they ground wheat for all the time he was there. But his hair grew back, and his strength, and also his resolve to be what God wanted him to be. And so Judges 16.3 said, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with, his, with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were there. So the dead whom he killed in his death were more than those he killed during his life. You see, he went to God one more time in his resolve and strength. And during the feast for Dagon, they brought him out to make mockery of him. And he gave it all to God in death. Prison resolved. Prison strengthened him. Prison molded his character as it did with Joseph. And he was stronger at the end than he was at the beginning. Who could forget John? John on the Isle of Patmos. John was imprisoned more than likely for his faith in Christ. But when he introduces himself halfway through the first chapter, he says in Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and partner in in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance 
that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I think it's fascinating that he calls that out. He says, I'm a brother of you, Christian, through tribulation and in the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Where do we find the patience and endurance to come through? In Jesus Christ. And John was very open about that. So what happened to John on the island of Patmos? Well, he tells us in Revelation 1.1, saying, write write, uh, what you see on the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergam and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. You see, John had seen Jesus before in the flesh, but he had never seen him like this. It was like Moses seeing the back of God passing by the cave where Moses had been placed. Or like Isaiah catching a vision of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. In fact, verse 17, he says that when he saw him, he fell at his feet, though dead. John experienced Christ in prison. And he was strengthened in such a way that he wound up writing one of the great books that closes out the Bible, the book of Revelation. Prison strengthened Joseph's character, Jeremiah's witness, Samson's physical strength and dedication to the Lord, and John the evangelist. But who could forget Paul? Being in prison strengthened his ministry as well. In fact, Paul had been in prison before. In fact, 2 Corinthians 6 tells us that he'd been in prison multiple times. And we can see by reading the book of Acts, other times he had been in prison. He was used along with Silas in the Philippian prison to win the Philippian jailer. But it is his incarceration in Rome that we're probably most familiar with. For God richly blessed him and gave him the words to write the prison epistles and in leading many to the Lord through his struggles. And like Joseph, Paul lived for God. He was the determining reality in Paul's life. And so Paul assures his readers in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Are you kidding me? I'm in prison, yet I'm excited about it because it's advancing the gospel? You see, this is the heart of ones who are sold out to Christ, those who are living for God. You can't ruffle them. You can't knock them off because everything sifts through the reality of God. And so he says, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me is really served to advance the gospel. So how did these things happen to advance the gospel? Well, first, Paul was able to bear witness to the imperial guard. Philippians 1.13 says, So that it has come, become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see, Paul spent years chained to these imperial guards. And what Paul knew was that the love of Christ that saved him The love of Christ was also for the one at the end of his chain. 
And Paul used that as a great opportunity. That's why he would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't matter what comes into my life because God is the author and the finisher of my salvation. He is the one who is going to get me through. And he is the very one that allows circumstances to come in that can mold me and use me and build me and strengthen me and cause me to be the man or woman he's intended me to be before the foundation of the world. And that is the joy we see in the character of these people who have gone through great struggles. Paul's prison suffering also had another effect. Philippians 1, verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Christians moved from fear to boldness. They learned to testify. The very words of Paul and what Paul was going through encouraged them and strengthened them to be what Paul had been preaching, to come forth in strength. And so he had a tremendous effect on non-Christians and Christians because non-Christians became Christians and Christians became bolder. And isn't that really what it's all about for you and I? Isn't that really what should be at the foundation of what we do and how we live? Shouldn't that be the very foundation of this church? That all of us would be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? To have the confidence when the bottom drops out to know that his spirit catches us. To know that it's the love of God working in and through each one of us to elevate us to a place where the Spirit is in control. That's the glory that these men have shared with us. These things can and will become true in your life and mine. But you must let suffering do its perfect work and draw you close to Him. And that's where you come in. You see, you will either obey God in the struggle or you'll become dormant or worse, walk away. Paul, John, Samson, Jeremiah, Joseph all drew closer to God while in the pit. And they experienced what everyone here has the opportunity to experience. And I think there's one very simple word that really lays it out for us to really grasp. And that's James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will exalt you in his time when his perfect work is done. And see, that's the beauty that you and I can cling to. When we're very worldly-minded and earthly-minded, we get bound up in problems and we just get frustrated. It's not what we want. But when you understand that the God who loved you and gave his life for you and saved you and has made a place for you in eternity is not a God who's going to leave you to fend for yourself. He's a God who said in Hebrews, 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when the difficulties come and the trials get deep, know he's in the midst of it. And he is guiding and directing you. You see, Joseph's life was a magnificent display of what can happen when you're truly surrendered. And that ability is offered to everyone in this room this morning. And if you're here today and you have no relationship with Christ, you've, you've never experienced salvation, you're not sure, understand that you're here because he brought you. You're here Maybe someone invited you, maybe someone brought you in, but you're here by the grace and mercy of God. Hear the message and understand what he's saying. And for those of us who know Christ, let God be God. Even though you're afraid, let God be God. You don't know today what God is doing tomorrow. Let God be God when you can't see it, when the water seems so deep and the mountain so high. Let God be God. God loves you so much. He can't even love you anymore. But you and I have the confidence that he will never love you less. Spurgeon said that years ago. Surrender is what he's looking for. And if Joseph screams anything else to us, as clearly as he does in his life, walk as he walked. Let him make the decisions of your heart. Let him direct your paths and allow the true joy of the Spirit to bless and strengthen you. Father, we thank you this morning for this example of Joseph that even in the prison, he lived to serve other people. Even in the midst of such difficulty, he never took his eyes off you. No matter how difficult, how discouraging, we know that he didn't want to be where he was. We know that we, he missed his family. We know that he didn't want to be in prison. But where he was, he lived for you. May that be the message of our hearts this morning. And may we all be careful to give you all the praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. We'll give you